This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. A few weeks ago, I received an email from a listener who had just received a push-pull call that she found disturbing. A push-pull is when the questions are asked in a manner that's designed to manipulate or sway your answers. In this case, the person was asked whether they believed that, quote, black Americans can achieve anything they want if they just work hard like everyone else, close quote. The listener was concerned that this type of call, presented as a political poll, might actually be the tool of white supremacists trying to identify potential supporters. She reported it to law enforcement officials, but it made me wonder who is monitoring hate groups here in Maine and how people who are targeted, who in many cases have reasons to distrust law enforcement, can report incidents. Today, we're going to start that conversation by talking with two journalists and podcasters who've been investigating and reporting on hate groups in Maine, a representative from the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, and a longtime human rights consultant. As we continue this discussion, we'd like to talk with as many people who are doing this work as we can, so please email me at news at weru.org if you are involved and would like to be part of an interview. Crash Berry is an investigative journalist and podcaster who has been tracking, infiltrating, and reporting on far-right hate groups here in Maine. First of all, the level activity, any activity like this, obviously is bad, right? And also, in terms of numbers, it's very difficult to discern how many people are active in the, the movement, so to speak, the, you know, the fascist racist movement because there's a lot of anonymity involved. And that's one of the focuses of my journalism most recently is tracking one particular racist who's an anonymous racist. And he goes by the name John Q. Publius. Okay. So he just published a book through Ostara Publications, which is an Amy, it's an actual neo-Nazi publishing house. They publish Hitler and all this other stuff. Okay. It's an English uh, publishing house. And the name of the book is The Way Life Should Be, question mark. And it has the cover of our famous sign on the, and it's about this conspiracy that the Jewish cabal secret government is bringing refugees and immigrants to Maine to replace white Christians. And that's the scope of it. And he, and he paints this unbelievable conspiratorial, not accurate in the least bit. And the reason why John Q. Publius is focused on Maine is because of Tom Kaczynski, the former Jackman Town manager that Andy O'Brien and I exposed back in 2018 as trying to start his own white ethno state in Maine while being the town manager of Jackman. Well, He's been booted from Jackman, Kaczynski's in Greenville now, and he's actually got a, a, a sizable following for him. He's got like 250, 300 people, but guess what? Almost none are in Maine. They're all outside of Maine. And this is why I've been focused on Kaczynski for so long is because I think he's a twerp, right? Like, I'm not afraid of Kaczynski. He's, he's an idiot. All right. But what he does is spews this hate telling people Maine's an all white state. Come on up here. If you want to escape the uh, diversified America, come to Maine and we have room for you. And he claims to bring uh, so far Kaczynski claims to have brought 50 families 
50 racist families to Maine. Now, I don't believe that because I think the guy's a liar, but I know that there are people that he's brought or helped convince to come to Maine. I've been tracking it. Uh, ironically, the the supporters of Kaczynski that were a part of his Maine for Mainers group, it was his Facebook group that was a racist Facebook group, they've abandoned him. The locals have abandoned him. In fact, I've had two separate members of his inner circle contact me and just spill their guts on Kaczynski uh, because they want to make it clear that they don't support his kind of stuff. So, uh, but I've always been warning about him proclaiming that Maine is a nice white state because I don't want these people bringing more people like them. Is this so, Albion? Plan? Okay, the New Albion, yes, it's the New Albion movement, okay, and it's taken various uh, forms, and now the New Albion 3.0 is a, uh, it's a monarchy with Kaczynski as the king, uh, with uh, Greenville, Maine as the center, and, uh, and taking over Maine first, then uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Quebec, and uh, the rest of the Maritimes. So obviously the guy's a lunatic, okay? But here, let's go back to why I, I watch and listen to him is because he is bringing John Q. Publius to Maine because get this, okay? There's a thing in the realm of like secret uh, undercover stuff. It's called OPSEC, Operation Security, okay? And Tom Kaczynski is really bad at it because he's just such a jabber. He's such a jabber walker, you know, he can't stop talking about stuff. So he gives me clues all the time, then I follow up on clues. So anyways, here's what I've discovered. John Q. Publius is recently, along with three other uh, white separatist men, visited Greenville, Maine. And John Q. Publius went with realtors to look at big pieces of land. And what they want to do is they want to set up a, you know, their own little all-white Christian community somewhere around Greenville, somewhere out there. Where it is, I don't know exactly yet because they haven't purchased anything. But these are very um, people with money, okay? A handful, one guy in particular, John Q. Publius, has a job apparently that allows him to work remotely and he's got a little bit of cash. He's about, he's in his 30s. I sent you a voice clip if you want to play it for the listeners. I'm trying to track this guy's real name down. This is a clip from that podcast the way life should be. We're going to use it here at Crash's request. He will give his email address at the end of this segment if you think you recognize this voice and would like to reach out and let him know who you believe it is. Basically, what we're looking at here is Jewish hedge fund managers and plutocrats are deciding under what guise the neoliberal machine will continue to operate for the rest of it is just window dressing. More wealthy Jews abound in the top 100 donors to political campaigns in 2018. Deborah Simon, number 14. Bernie Marcus of Home Depot, number 18. Incidentally, he's also one of the major bankrollers of the Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk thing. Dustin Moskowitz, number 19. Joshua Beckenstein of Bank Capital, number 20. Jeff Yass, number 21. Paul Singer of Elliott Management, number 20. He's very good at keeping himself uh, undercover, and he's been doing it for years. And he recently announced that he's going dark, that he's not doing any more podcasts. He's not doing any more. This is the third and final book because he's going dark because he's setting up this community in Maine. He's buying this land in Maine. Um, I have a, a maybe a half dozen or so of his podcasts that I archived. I wish I'd archived more, but um, he's a really bad dude. And uh, we don't want him coming to Maine. We don't want him setting up an all-white 
uh, Christian community, because what they're hoping to do is set up things called covenants, which are illegal in the real estate world. A covenant would say into this uh, subdivision, this <laughs> Nazi subdivision, that only white Christians uh, could buy the land. And, you know, that's crazy. We don't want that stuff here. So I'm trying right now to figure out who John Q. Publius is. And uh, I'm assuming Kaczynski is going to leak his name somehow because he's an idiot. Uh, but I'm also reaching out uh, to people in the Greenville area, realtors, et cetera. And I'm just saying, hey, uh, you know, there's this neo-Nazi group that's thinking of buying um, some land up here. What do you think about that? You know, because I'm pretty sure they don't want a neo-Nazi compound near Greenville, Maine. I mean, just think of what that would do for tourism. Oh, we've talked before and you've talked about going undercover with setting up and taking a long time to craft a really believable alternate online presence what can you say about what you do and do you advise listeners who care about such things to try doing this at home? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay. So here's the deal. It's called sock puppets on, on social media. Sock puppet is a fake account. And unfortunately it takes a while to build up a sock puppet account because in order to look legit, you want to have lots of friends and you want to, you know, have a lengthy social media history so that you can then uh, join a group and say, hey, I want to join this group uh, that, you know, is a hateful group and then document everything via screenshots and then uh, share them with someone like me. Because what we try to do is, first of all, it gives us an idea of who's out there and what they're saying. Now, for instance, I have another group that I'm watching. Let me see how I can say this very carefully because I don't want to reveal who I'm watching. But let's just say I'm, I'm watching a wannabe militia group in Maine, okay? I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if they're legit or not, of how many members of the cell there are. You know, it's, it's just kind of ingratiating yourself. I spend um, maybe maybe 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes a day on this uh, in terms of like checking those Facebook accounts, seeing if there's things I could like or something to make myself more convincing. I listen to their podcast while I'm doing dishes because I need something to distract myself. I always listen um, to a podcast oftentimes to these haters because I want to hear what they're going to say about Maine because I, I hate the fact that they put this thing that Maine is all white and we only want white people here because immigrants, people from away, have saved Maine a dozen times in Maine's history when we talk about whether it be the Quebecois. Well, anyway, just, we don't need to go over that. We know that immigration has saved Maine. Maine needs immigrants. Maine needs people uh, with uh, some great new ideas. Look at Lewiston, Auburn. That's the big city for me. I love what's happening in Lewiston and Auburn. So when I hear these guys say that there's a Jewish cabal bringing the refugees to Maine to replace the whites, that's all neo-Nazi code. And there's all these codes. I mean, I could tell you, I, I know so much of this code, Amy, it sucks that I've wasted this much of my brain on it. But for instance, I was thinking one uh, the other day, jogger. When they reference jogger, they'll, talk, they'll say a jogger. That's actually the N-word. Okay, so uh, you'll see these guys say, uh, there's this one guy, another guy I'm watching, who's another disciple of Kaczynski, who I believe is very dangerous because he does these live streams with a gun and Kaczynski's new Albion flag in the background. And he had a recent podcast called 
Uh, joggers are going to jog. So if you substituted the N-word for joggers in there, that's how they talk. And it's terrible. They talk about the cabal. They talk about uh, neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is all code for Jewish conspiracy. And they do that because the censors, you know, the Facebook censors or whatever, don't let them spew their hate that way. So they have to find another code. For instance, another code, if you see reference to in social media, Twitter especially, if you see three parentheses on either side of a, a name, okay, it means they're Jewish. They, they put the parentheses around it. It's a, a weird thing. It's not even that interesting how it came about, but it was a way to then start signifying and labeling people. And I sent you an audio clip of uh, John Q. Publius. And during that, that was just a random sample. I just grabbed something quick before the interview. I want to just give you a sound of his voice. And that's just a litany of him reciting the names of Jewish donors to politics in America. That's a, he did a whole episode. It's called Two Sides of the Same Coin where he just, he goes up, it's, it's 60 minutes of him reciting donor names, basically. So these guys are really obsessed, they're racist, they're dangerous, and we don't want him, we, we don't want them here in Maine. I want to give you an opportunity before we do wrap up to direct people to the work that you're doing and uh, just let them know where they can find and follow this, because I think what your efforts are is to kind of cast a light in some really dark corners and ideally have as many people see them as possible. Yes, thank you. Uh, on social media, uh, Facebook, Crash Barry, Twitter, Crash, crash underscore Barry, devilsanddirtbags.com is my podcast and my website. Season one of Devils and Dirtbags is about the child molesting priest of Springfield, Massachusetts. And that's a 13-part uh, uh, series. There's a special edition, a 14th episode. You're going you're gonna to freak out when you hear this one. It's a, a new episode coming out in probably three weeks. Uh, amazing breakthrough that I've had with that story, finding another priest. Uh, but then season, season two of Devils and Dirtbags, uh, I'm doing with my colleagues, Andy O'Brien and Nathan Bernard, uh, and we're going to be focusing on this far-right, alt-right, fast-right movement in Maine, because here's what I feel. If the election goes with Trump, these uh, right, far-right fascists are going to be emboldened. If the election goes with Biden, they're going to feel embattered. So I want to make sure that we're able to document who they are. And some of these people are in mainstream politics in Maine, and some of them are on the fringe of society. And we're going to be talking about how they've had an impact on Maine, what they're doing, and really shining a light into what you call those dark corners, because it is dark. It is really, really dark. I tell you, the only joy I get these days to juxtapose that is feeding my pigs acorns, okay? Like, I'll go listen to a terrible podcast about something, and I go outside, and I've got a bunch of acorns, and I go, and I just hang out with my pigs and feed them acorns, <laughs> and I feel much better after that. So I encourage people, if you're going to do this sort of work, to have some sort of natural break from it, that you're not doing this all the time. Because if I did it all the time, I'd go nuts. You can't do it all the time. So don't get obsessed. Do a little, little bit. And, and if you want to share it with me also, crash at crashberry.com is my right. email. Thank you so much for talking to us today. And we'll definitely be following up. Want to get you back on Main Currents before your podcast is going to air on WERU starts too. So we'll be talking with you more yes, about Yes, very that. excited about being a podcaster with WERU. So yeah, thank you for having me. Very excited to have you. Crash Berry is currently working on a podcast based on his book, Tough Island, True Stories from Matitikis, Maine, which will be airing on WERU. 
Watch our website for more information on when that's going to debut. You are listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. Andy O'Brien is a former state legislator, former managing editor of the Free Press in Rockland, and the current communications director for the Maine AFL-CIO. His writings have been published in Down East, Huffington Post, Labor Notes, and Mainer Magazine. He's also the co-founder of O-Chang Studios, which produces a popular cartoon web series, Temp Tales, as well as doing animations for businesses, agencies, and nonprofits. He also does freelance reporting on far-right groups here in Maine. Our entire state was colonized because the English waged a brutal race war on the indigenous people of this state uh, throughout the 17th and 18th century. Um, And then when we had immigrants uh, coming in, uh, particularly Catholic immigrants from Ireland and um, uh, Quebec, um, you started to see the rise of groups like the Know Nothings in the 1850s. And they had a strong presence all across Maine and places like Ellsworth and Bath and Portland. We elected a governor with the endorsement of the Know Nothings party. Very anti-Catholic, tarred and feathered John Baps, the uh, uh, Catholic priest up in Ellsworth, uh, burned a, a Catholic uh, meeting house to the ground in Bath. Um, and so that sectarian violence um, continued and, and there was a lot of fear of Catholics taking over the state of Maine for several decades going into well into the 20th century. And so when the Ku Klux Klan came to Maine in the early 20s, um, it was primarily an anti-Catholic organization. And there were a lot of conspiracy theories about Catholics that we hear about other groups like Muslims um, today. Um, Very similar conspiracy theories. Uh, And so you know, they had, you know, anywhere between 30,000 and 100,000 members in Maine at that time. They'd all dress up in their robes and cloaks. It was a very much a, a, a radical right Protestant movement. Um, but I sort of traced the modern white supremacist movement to the 60s in reaction to the civil rights movement. And so what we're seeing today is sort of a continuation of that. I think in the 60s, these groups were terrified of giving um, oppressed minorities any kind of equality, whether it was um, blacks or, or women or gays or what have you. Um, now they're terrified that they are taking over the levers of power. And so you're seeing this resurgence of, of uh, white supremacist terror. Um, And so I look at in the 1960s, and this is where the main connection comes in, uh, you saw, um, obviously you saw the Ku Klux Klan come out, particularly in the South, but you also saw the emergence of the American Nazi Party, which was founded by a man who grew up in Maine, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell. He lived, uh, father lived on Westport Island. He uh, went to Hebron Academy. And um, it was a, neo-Nazi group. Uh, They'd go from town to town trying to spread their message. Um, And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, he was assassinated in the late 60s by one of his followers. But his other followers went on to form group um, to influence the white supremacist movement in many different ways. Um, So you had William Luther Pierce, who was one of the American Nazi Party 
members who wrote the Turner Diaries, which inspired the Oklahoma City bombing, um, as well as a lot of uh, these mass shootings that you hear about. Um, you know, that was a, a novel that was about the, um, you know, a, a overthrow of the federal government um, and ultimately a race war to exterminate non-whites um, and Jews. And then you had James Mason, who was another American Nazi party follower who wrote the book, um, wrote a series, a series of writings called Siege, which um, was calling, which was influenced by Hitler and Charlie Manson. Uh, he really subscribed to the helter-skelter philosophy of destabilizing society and provoking a race war. Uh, and so he influenced groups like Adam Waffen Division, which we have followers of Adam Waffen Division here in Maine. Um, they advocate for the overthrow of the government and these so-called lone wolf terrorist acts. Um, he was a big promoter of, is a big promoter of leaderless resistance, um, which is uh, kind of what Timothy McVeigh did. They're small cells that um, carry out terrorist attacks. Um, and acceleration, which is essentially this philosophy that um, you create this chaos to accelerate um, our society to this boiling point where you provoke a race war. Um, and so that's where you see all these different white supremacist groups. A lot of them have their roots in, in the 60s. How active are they in Maine today? I mean, here in Maine, um, it's a little bit different than in other parts of the country um, in that we don't have a large population base. We're a little bit older, uh, but we still have um, people that are involved in these groups in Maine. Um, <clears throat> so I mentioned Adam Waffen Division, which has been uh, the, the, the FBI has cracked down upon um, and they've been responsible for another, a number of murders across the country. And they're kind of on the, um, on the retreat at the moment. Um, but I, I was able to find um, one member who went to the University of Maine um, and he was in a chat group um, expressing the same ideology of carrying out terrorist attacks. Uh, there was another one who, uh, follower of this group that, um, you know, was uh, into, I believe he's in the military now. Um, and, you know, we also have <clears throat> groups, we also have people like Tom Kaczynski, who's a white supremacist, lives in Greenville, who's very um, active in the sort of national movement of, of spreading this ideology. Um, a lot of what, and, and there's another one in Machias, it's a neo-Nazi library um, that's sort of spreading this kind of ideology. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to spread the ideology and radicalize people. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing this kind of stuff themselves, but they're trying to influence the wider society. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and a lot of this, I track uh, a lot of this sort of began emerging more and more in Maine with um, more immigration in the early 2000s from Somalia and then later from um, parts of Africa uh, where you had this sort of backlash. Um, so the, one of the founders, uh, the founder of Identity Europa, which is a neo-Nazi group that was at Charlottesville, is very involved. Uh, the founder 
uh, was born in Lewiston and he had always cited um, Somali immigration as, as one of the things that sort of radicalized him to the far right. Um, and so, you know, if you read like reports from the Anti-Defamation League, you know, they found an up, up, upsurge of anti-Semitic um, hate in Maine as they have the rest of the country. Um, a lot of this is like leafleting. You'll see like white supremacists leafleting around different parts of Maine. The group Patriot Front, which is another white supremacist group, has been very active about this. Um, the Stormer Book Club in Bangor has been leafleting, but it could be just one or two people. Uh, there was another group, uh, one of the guys went to Charlottesville and they held a anti-Indigenous People's Day um, demonstration in Bangor a couple of years ago and another one, a flash mob in Bar Harbor to protest Indigenous People's Day. And it turned out that a number of those guys were involved in, in white supremacist groups. Uh, but what they try to do is sort of merge their ideology into the mainstream discourse. So you hear a lot of talk in, in uh, mainstream Republican conservative movement about elites and globalists and um, this cabal that sort of runs the world. And that's very rooted in an old, in, in old anti-Semitic tropes about uh, a kind of a Jewish conspiracy. And we saw that back during the, um, you know, during World War I in Maine where, you know, I found articles of, of uh, Jewish peddlers being arrested in Maine just because they could speak different languages and that they were, they seemed a little bit too smooth talking for their own good and stuff. So they were eyed with suspicion as they believed that they were somehow involved in sort of some Bolshevik plot. And so now you see that with um, groups like QAnon, uh, well, it's not a Q, it's, it's more of a, a cult that is very big on Facebook uh, and followers of QAnon believe that there's this um, global cabal of, um, you know, elite liberals in Hollywood people who are um, trying to, that are, uh, have a, 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 a pedophile ring uh, and, and they're abusing children and, and engaging in cannibalism and stuff. And, um, drinking the blood of children. And, and this comes, this is very much connected to uh, these old um, conspiracy theories like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a fake document that purported to expose a Jewish plot to control the world. So they don't say it in these terms. They don't use these anti-Semitic terms, but it's the same same thought process, same ideology, um, you know, blood libel. Back in the Middle Ages, you know, Europeans were terrified that, uh, you know, non-Jewish people were terrified that Jews were drinking the blood of children and they used that to justify murdering uh, Jewish people in the Middle Ages. QAnon believes that people are drinking the blood of children. So a lot of these white supremacist groups are trying to connect um, sort of these mainstream conservatives that become more mainstream in the Trump era um, with their own toxic ideology, you know, rather than use terms like, um, you know, uh, Zionist occupied government that they used to say in the, 
you know, in the 70s and 80s about a, you know, a Jewish conspiracy to, that's controlling the government. They use terms like uh, dog, uh, cultural Marxism um, instead of uh, white genocide. Uh, you know, they'll use terms like white genocide instead of white supremacy, that there's you know, that the, the population of non-white people is growing to such an extent that they're going to replace and wipe out um, the white population. And so it sounds like there's still a significant amount of this going on in Maine, possibly more in recent years. Yeah, I mean, I'm really concerned about the... Um, more of these sort of mainstream Facebook groups that have emerged that are um, came about, particularly during the COVID pandemic, you started to see these anti-lockdown groups. Um, and then they sort of became these anti-Black Lives Matter, anti-Antifa groups, um, where they would spread these conspiracies that, you know, busloads of Antifa activists are going to descend be clear, on anti-fascist anti-fascist yeah. yeah that they were going to des descend on sanford and um you know destroy the town and and everything and and that spurred people to show up with confederate flags and and guns um to confront peaceful protesters you know um so we're seeing some more of that you know down in portland we've seen groups like the proud boys which are, uh, you know, Trump was. They're standing uh, by. Yeah, they're standing by. Um, <laughs> oh you know, they describe themselves as a pro-Western fraternity, but they're extremely misogynist, Islamophobic, transphobic, anti-immigrant. Um, you know, they use dog whistles, but essentially they're a white supremacist group, even though they put non-white people in front to sort of shield their themselves from those those criticisms but they've shown up at blm protests in in portland to harass black lives matter demonstrators and tore up their signs and threw them in the garbage um, but the reality is is that there's they're often they're usually very much outnumbered so we haven't seen the kind of violence at all that we've seen out in portland oregon for instance how do you think things will go? Do you dare speculate of what the reaction may be among these groups, depending on which way the election goes? I mean, they, they definitely could be, um, you know, stirred up by, you know, the president not accepting the results of an election if he loses, if there's a contested election. Um, they, they live in fear. I mean, that's what this, I look at it as one big party of fear, you know, whether it was the know nothings, the Klan, the Nazis, the Brown boys, you know, whatever, they are terrified of losing the levers of power. They're afraid that they're losing their culture. And lately we've been seeing this real dehumanization dehumanization of their political opponents in these Facebook groups, where they're not just liberals that we disagree with, they're Satan worshipers and pedophiles and the most evil people imagine. And when you dehumanize and you demonize people to that extent, uh, you can justify anything against them. You know, the Nazis would often look at what they were doing to the Jews as some sort of self-defense. 
so it is a frightening time that we're living in, and it's really important to be vigilant and understand what's happening in your community. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today, Andy O'Brien. Where can people find your work? I write for Maynard, Maynard News Cooperative in Portland, MaynardNews.com. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. That was Andy O'Brien that we just heard from. We're starting a conversation today that we plan to continue here on Maine Currents about hate group activity in Maine and what's being done to monitor and address it. You may know Shanna Bellows as a state senator here in Maine or even from her previous work with the AFL-CIO. She's also the executive director of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. And you will likely recognize the voice of Steve Wessler, host of Change Agents here in WERU on the first Thursday of every month at four o'clock. Like most of our public affairs hosts, he has a great deal of expertise in the area he reports on, which you'll hear about in just a moment in his own words. I spoke with Shanna and Steve via Zoom on Monday. Maybe Shanna, you could go first. Sure. Um, Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. I am Executive Director of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. We were founded by Holocaust survivors and their allies in 1985 with a mission of promoting universal respect for human rights through outreach and education. We use the lessons of the Holocaust and other events past and present to encourage individuals and communities to reflect and act upon their moral responsibilities to confront prejudice, intolerance, and discrimination. And we do so largely through teacher education and direct student education. So in the very beginning, it was Holocaust survivors and allies as volunteers going into the classroom. Um, Today, we have a team of educators all across the state who go into the classroom to do Holocaust education, but also increasingly important anti-bias education. And prior to working for the Holocaust and Human Rights Center, you had worked for the ACLU. Uh, That work kind of lead into this? I was executive director of the ACLU of Maine for just over eight years. And prior to that, had worked at the National Washington Legislative Office of the ACLU as a national field organizer. And in that work, we were advocating for defense of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and also for human rights. So I was one of the leaders of Maine's marriage equality campaigns uh, from 2005 until we were finally successful in 2012. And I also co-chaired Maine's same-day voter registration campaign. So working on those fundamental civil rights. And this work, in many ways, is an extension of that. Uh, but moving really into the education arena, because um, one of the concerns that we have is that we need to equip our young people with the tools to confront bias and prejudice in themselves and in our communities. Great. Thank you. And Steve Wessler, our listeners will recognize your voice as the host of Change Agents. But what do people who just hear you in that role not know about your work in the background that you have in this area? I've been working for 28 years on addressing hate crimes as well as incidents of bias that don't amount to a hate crime. Uh, And the, 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 the work I do now is is really in two different places. I I teach at uh, 
University of Maine at Augusta and at College of the Atlantic and at a, um, a master's program at George Mason. All of it is focusing on, on issues relating the, to hate crimes or uh, immigration or, uh, and increasingly about police issues as well. Um, and then the, the other work I do, which has been slowed down because of the coronavirus, but largely because of travel, um, is overlapping, Shannon, with some of the work that you do, which is I go into um, schools and try to help schools um, develop programs that will reduce um, the level of bias and degrading language, particularly directed at um, other students who are, um, who are minorities. Uh, I was asked in 1992 by the Attorney General in Maine, Mike Carpenter, to uh, develop a plan to implement the Maine Civil Rights Act, which allows the um, Attorney General's office to go to court to get restraining orders against people who uh, engage in violence, um, property damage, or threats against uh, because of bias, and led that for the first seven years, and then uh, left to start a the Center for Preventing Hate, which tried to um, to reduce bias before it gets escalates to hate crime, and now for the past. Eight years I've been living on MDI and and doing work as a consultant both in the U.S. and in Europe. So thank you both for joining me today. I'm trying to get a sense of in this first of what I hope to be many discussions of this issue, what some of the structures are formal and informal in the state. Spurred on actually, as you know, by an email, initially by an email that we received from a listener who had received a push-pull call from someone who was asking something along the lines of, do you believe that uh, black people could be doing just as well as white people if they just worked harder? Which she took to be possibly a sign that a group was using the polling process to identify potentially uh, sympathetic people to that to that viewpoint. In looking at that, and then within a day or two after that, there were the presidential debates where um, Trump told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. And looking into who the Proud Boys were or are, I started wondering about what the processes are in the state if you have concerns, if, if you are affected especially people in affected communities. There are formal uh, parts of the government and law enforcement that are monitoring these things. Uh, Steve, you kind of worked within those, if you want to say a little bit to what those are. But then also informally, what kinds of networks, what do people do if they are, number one, experiencing this, and uh, also, if they are concerned about it and want to report something, but they don't know who to talk to. The, the, the answer is a difficult one because uh, there, there are two parts of government that could be involved. One is the Attorney General's Office through the Civil Rights Union, and the other is the Human Rights Commission. But 
Um, but in most of those instances, um, uh, they may not be able to help. Uh, the Attorney General's office uh, is really focused on violations of law um, as opposed to um, speech. So uh, we're allowed to say very ugly things under the First Amendment um, about minorities. Um, uh, there's a line where it might cross to be a threat and the Attorney General's office could come in. But are they keeping an eye on if they start hearing that kind of speech? Is there anyone within that agency or somewhere else within the state government that says, all right, we're hearing a lot of buzz around this. And while they may be able to say whatever they want, the fact that they're saying these things makes us think they may be potentially dangerous. We better keep, better keep an eye on this. The state police could be doing that. Um, I mean, nationally, I think that the, the, the two groups that are doing um, the most are um, probably what's happening in the FBI, uh, where I am sure that they have people who are undercover. Um, I mean, it was just not that long ago that they just declared that the greatest threat was white supremacists, not, um, not foreign people coming in and um, setting off bombs. Meaning so, the greatest domestic terrorism threat. Yeah, that, that, that's the most significant. And the other is the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, which, um, which tr the, the Anti-Defamation League does some of it, but, um, but I think there's more effort at the Southern Poverty Law Center. And Shannon, I don't know if you would agree with that. I think both organizations are doing some good work. Southern Poverty Law Center is tracking groups. So you can look at the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate map and see which groups they've identified as operating in Maine. And then Anti-Defamation League is tracking with their heat map, they're tracking incidents. Now those are only reported incidents, but um, for example, they tracked in 2019 32 incidents, um, which they further broke down into six incidents of anti-Semitism and 26 incidents of white, white supremacy. And so I think um, those two groups are doing their best. They're not going to necessarily know everything that is happening here in the state. And I think one of the important things is if an individual or member of a community sees something to speak out, to get in touch with the media, but also to get in touch uh, with those groups to report them and to get in touch with law enforcement if they fear that it's an actual threat. Because just as Steve says, the First Amendment of the Constitution does protect the ugliest, most hateful speech unless uh, it is a threat. Um, or destruction of property, um, which is often one of the forms that this, these incidents take. Uh, but I think that's where, so at the ACLU, we always used to say that the answer to speech with which we disagreed was more speech. And I think that the work that Steve has spent a lifetime doing and the work of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center is work to address the root causes of that speech. So who, and one of the things that I worry about is not just the organized groups that are being tracked by Southern Poverty Law Center, but because of social media, 
because uh, white supremacy and anti-Semitism is so rampant online, you can have individuals who are uh, reading this content and coming to believe these hateful ideologies and then engaging in white supremacist speech or acts on an individual basis. Um, they don't need to necessarily belong to an organized group. Um, in an age of social media, in an age where, so much, where everything is online, that's a real concern that our kids, um, young men and women in our communities uh, are susceptible um, to those ideologies. Steve, you had mentioned earlier too that that's one of your concerns is the individual acting on things that they're seeing, whether in social media or, or wherever. Well, I, I want to talk about that on two levels. One is if, if, you, if you look back at the, the, just the atrocious mass killings that have occurred by white supremacists um, uh, in, the, um, in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue, in the Walmart in El Paso filled with um, uh, Latinx people in uh, South Carolina in the, in the church where Dylan Roof killed several several people. Um, they appear to be lone wolves. They, they're inspired by um, the rhetoric and the symbols of uh, white supremacy, but it makes it very, very hard for, um, for law enforcement to undertake it. And, and there's been an effort now going on for over several decades to have um, white supremacist groups be in very small cells. Um, and then separate from that, you got people where it's a cell of one. But, 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 there's a, but there's another part of this, which is what I spend most of my time on, which is the, the, the frequency in our high schools and middle schools of using highly degrading language about people of color, about people who are immigrants, about people who are LGBTQ, about people who are Jewish, about people who are Muslim, is very high. And um, I mean, on its face, it's, it's, it's ugly. But the impact that it's having on students is, is huge. Um, and I would also add in that comments um, and actions by boys directed at, at girls. Um, and there are there are ways, and I'm that I think both the, what Shenna, your organization is doing, the work that I've done for years is ultimately trying to get people to speak up um, uh, and to start changing the culture from one where people think they're going to get approval from saying something that is really ugly to. Um, to realizing that the way you're going to get respect is to speak respectfully. And one of the challenges I think is sometimes those of uh, people in the community, whether it's school administrators or whether it's parents, might dismiss uh, a comment or a joke or 
you know, that initial uh, statement by a young person as, you know, boys will be boys, or what are these other, you know, sort of dismissive um, underappreciation of what they're hearing is. But one of the things uh, that the Holocaust and Human Rights Center adopted um, with, from the Anti-Defamation League is teaching about the pyramid of hate. And that is that biased attitudes and stereotypes lead to acts of bias, whether that's bullying or name calling, which we understand to be very harmful in and of itself. That in turn escalates to discrimination uh, that we see systemically across our state and across our nation. Discrimination leads in turn to violence, uh, and violence, of course, in its worst form, leads to genocide. And I think that that pyramid of hate plays itself out in an individual's journey um, from starting with some stereotypes, starting with insensitive remarks or non-inclusive language, and then um, if there isn't an intervention, if there isn't education and calling in and calling out, then that escalates and that person embarks upon a journey which can lead to violence. Do you, either of you, think that the um, level of either organizing or, or sort of lone wolf activity within the state of Maine is increasing? Are we just becoming more aware of it because of social media, because of media attention to it, because of some really public incidents that have happened in the past few years? Has this been with us all along, right from the start, or is it more prominent now, particularly okay. here in Maine? My, my sense is it's increasing. <clears throat> I don't think I could prove that statistically because we, 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 don't, we haven't been tracking this. We're still not tracking it um, enough to, to be sure. Um, but um, uh, when, uh, when people in positions of high authority start expressing degrading language, uh, I think it liberates um, sort of the, all of us ordinary people to feel, well, it's, it's okay to say that. Um, uh, but proving that is, is much harder because hate crime, hate crime data is, um, is not very good. And I will just say that I think that hate speech and hate groups and hate crimes have been with us uh, from the beginning of time uh, in this state and in this country. Um, Maine had very active uh, Ku Klux Klan um, at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and very public gatherings and marches, including in Portland. And I think that there have always been, unfortunately, elected leaders who have espoused racist and hateful ideologies. Uh, but I do think that we're in a time where we see and again, like Steve, I don't have data per se, but I think that the public acceptability of some of our elected leaders engaging in and supporting openly and almost proudly 
uh, white supremacist ideology is very dangerous. Um, our elected leaders uh, engaging in anti-Semitic remarks and not feeling shame about that is, is of grave concern. And the challenge is the message in of itself, it's dangerous. Um, it gives comfort to those who espouse these ideologies, to those um, sometimes very small hate groups that do exist, and to those individuals who are consuming this ideology. But it also sends completely the wrong message uh, to young people. And if we're not uh, actively, strongly providing a counter message, then that's the message our young people are hearing. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left. This is definitely just the first of many conversations about this on main currents and Steve Wessler and change agents. You've been having conversations about this. That's what your whole program's about. You'll be continuing about just in general, people who are working on human rights issues. But for now, amplifying the voices of people who are speaking out against this is an important part. Where do people go to hear those voices or to have their own voice included in the chorus of those who are speaking out against, we'll just call it hate in general in Maine? And as well, if you could give your own websites or contact information, if you're comfortable with that. Shanna, do you I, want to go first? I would. I'd like to give a shout out to Steve. Uh, he's modest, but he started a lasting, very successful program in the state that's unique in the country uh, that my husband now runs, and that is the Civil Rights Team Project. And that is teams of students in schools working to make the school environment more safe and welcoming for all, working to tackle these tough issues. And that's what I would say is that there is a role for everyone to play in standing up against white supremacy. It's not just about contacting the organizations that are doing this work, like Southern Poverty Law Center, like Anti-Defamation League, or reaching out to experts here in the state, like Steve, or like the education team at the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. It's thinking about what can you do personally in your own family and in your own community we have some resources on our website at hhrcmaine.org, and we're also on social media. We have a very active social media presence. We think that's extraordinarily important uh, in 2020. And so check us out uh, online or on social media. Get involved uh, in your school community. Everything that we provide for teachers and students is absolutely free due to the generous support of our members and supporters. So if you want to see this come to your school, uh, reach out to us. And if you're a student or a young person thinking about how you might take action in your community, you can also reach out to the Civil Rights Team Project. Thanks, Shanna. Steve Wessler, you get the last word. Yeah. So one of the things, uh, projects that has been on hold, and I hope I'll be able to continue it, is um, uh, training other people to uh, facilitate dialogues between immigrants and and what I call longtime Americans, um, getting people to talk across table and eat dinner together is is huge. You, you we we do this sort of one person and one group at a time.
um, and uh, opening opening up conversations uh, can dramatically reduce stereotypes. Uh, if people want to reach me, my email is stevewessler at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I think that um, we are really lucky to have, Shanna, your organization and what you're doing in schools and elsewhere. Thank you both very much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Catch us on the first and third Tuesdays of every month at 4 o'clock. On the third Tuesday, we have the Elections 2020 edition of the show with regular guests, Professor Amy Freed, Chair of the Political Science Department at the University of Maine, and former State Representative Ralph Chapman. On our October 20th show, we'll also be joined again by guests from the League of Women Voters of Maine. If you have any questions about your ballot or how voting is going to work this year, please email me at news at weru.org no later than October 18th, and be sure to let me know if I can use your first name in town. News at weru.org is also the email address to use if you would like to suggest possible guests for future discussions of hate groups here in Maine. Thanks to our guests today, Shanna Bellows, Executive Director of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, Steve Wessler, Human Rights Consultant and host of WERU's Change Agents on the first Thursday of every month at four, and investigative reporters Andy O'Brien and Crash Barry. We'll put links along with the archives of today's program to the organizations that these folks work with. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock that's coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming online at weru.org. And if you haven't got our app already, what are you waiting for? Go to your favorite app store and download the WERU app.